The Money Show. Shapeshifters. We've been wanting to chat to this guy for a long time. The founder and chief executive of Bartle Shoes, Theo Balloy, is with us this evening. He created Bartle Shoes 2015, I think it was, Theo. That's when it all started. Yeah, yeah. Started in 20, 2015, Bruce. Um, good evening and good evening to the listeners. It's a great pleasure to have you on. I follow you on Instagram. Somebody hacked my Instagram account and I haven't bothered to go back in for a while. But you certainly are a very active participant on Instagram. You live out your life on Instagram. You're constantly photographing yourself in warehouses and packing shoes and arriving at the office in the dark and leaving in the dark. Um, you know, seven years in, you still seem to be working possibly harder than you were at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Because I think, you know, for us, you know, our, our mission is pretty clear as to what is it that we want to achieve. You know, we are a business that is rooted in, in service, if I would say that. You know, we our mission says that we want to reignite hope and create sustainable jobs, you know, and it's a task that we have taken up, you know, on, on our shoulders. So it requires a lot of hard work, I guess, you know, um, and a lot of compromise and sacrifice. Talk to me about the origins of Bato. When, uh, how does it all start? What, what are you doing before you you get into uh, creating a sneaker brand? Yo, for me, I think you know it was more of a passion project than anything else. But it was a passion, a passion project that was rooted in savings. So I am a product of opportunities. Um, have lived in Alexandra, you know, uh, where I basically started my entrepreneurial journey, or I would say. The entrepreneurial bug bit me, you know, um, an accountant by profession, had a, a privilege to work for uh, one of the top four accounting firms, not only in South Africa, but abroad as well. But oftentimes when I came back home, you know, uh, visiting Alexander Township, I would see that a lot of our people are um, unemployed, you know, and predominantly the youth. So I just thought, you know, that I should take it upon myself because in my journey, you know, I've been awarded a lot of opportunities. So I just took it upon myself to build a business that can, number one, recreate hope and create sustainable jobs and create, you know, opportunities. So had to bootstrap everything else and start in a, in a room in Alexander Township, you know, and start this business, you know, that is around foodware. And now, uh, talk to me about the, the sourcing of the shoes, the design of the shoes, the manufacturing of the shoes. How does that all happen? So, um, you know, we, we start doing sketches, obviously, on paper. And we take those sketches once we live them, you know, to develop them into 3D designs. And we send it out to our factories, which we are our stakeholders or service providers. Then they go and source the materials that has to be used in the shoes and obviously do samplings on the shoes and send them back to us. Once we are happy with assembling, we will obviously, you know, um, approve and go into mass production. And once we get the shoes, then, you know, we would start retailing the shoes. Okay, I mean, that process, it, it's a huge thing. I mean, when you design a shoe, and I'm sure it becomes um, sort of more intuitive over time, but you design a pair of shoes and you send it off to the factory and say, I'd like this in this particular material, please. And it comes back and you go, nah, doesn't work. Let's try something else. Let's try something else. I mean, does it often yeah. happen that you, you're sort of sending these samples back several times until you get the, the correct finish? A whole lot, you know, and some of the samples that they, they don't even make it to retail or to um, our catalog as our product offering. You know, some of the samples we just say, okay, this is not going to work, so therefore we're going to can it. And that could be, you know, two months after, three months after. So it's a very 
um, I think, uh, a tedious process, you know, uh, and it takes a lot of effort. So that is why relations in this business is very, very important. And you need to be very clear as to what is it that we want to develop and the technicalities of the shoes and the technology that needs to be used in the shoes, you know, what is it going to achieve or what is it that you want to achieve? And that will really, that really informs, you know, how the shoe looks at the end of the day. South Africa is not renowned for shoe production. Um, you know, I, I, I often looked very enviously across at Brazil, which has got this most extraordinary leather industry, and they've got a huge shoe business. And yeah. at one stage, Woolies was importing a lot of its shoes from places like Brazil, for example. And I went to, I thought, why don't we have the capacity to do shoes in South Africa? And in recent years, I think there have been quite a few startups like yours that have got into yeah. this space. Well, what, what held us back and what's changed that makes it possible to do it now? I think, you know, for, for me, you know, in my experience is that when I started the business, you know, we started everything else locally. You know, we had a factory down in Devon that could sort of pull and source the materials and the designs that we wanted, you know. But unfortunately, the craftsmanship in South Africa, um, and I think it goes as far as textile manufacturing in South Africa, it's not that great. So, and it's not great as in, as in you know, great in, in a sense that it can compete with, you know, um, uh, there's other sectors in the East, you know, Brazil, like you've mentioned, when it comes to foodware. So, um, and I think it's just the state of the country and the, st- the state of the economy. And it could be many other factors that come to play as to why we can compete with um, other factories in other parts of the world, you know. So with us, because we are a very funky, cool brand, you know, um, innovation is very key. You know, it's, it's really, really key to our product development um, and the kind of product that we want to push out. And sneaker technology it's also very, very key because you need to really develop not only cool shoes, but comfortable shoes. And what we found the challenge was that a lot of the factories that we had at the time, that we worked with at the time in South Africa, they don't have the capacity, the resources, even the infrastructure to pull off the designs that we wanted, you know. And to be honest with you, Bruce, as to why is it, um, I, I don't really know. I think it's just the state of the economy. But I see now that there's a lot of factories that we work with now in South Africa with our CSI projects. The school shoes, you know, they pulled off very great quality school shoes that are really looking, you know, amazing, and and they really can compete on a on a very on a global scale. Also, we're doing a few samples, some SKUs they put off, and they are of great quality, you know. Um, but other 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 sneakers, especially when it comes to innovation, it's a it's a sneaker that has never been done before. I feel like our our factories in South Africa don't have the infrastructure to pull those off. So where do you source the raw materials from? I mean, if you, we've got an issue with textiles and craftsmanship and, and all of this sort of stuff, how have you circumvented all of these obstacles, which for most people would have been, you know what, sod it. We're not going to do it. The Brazilians already have got yeah. the industry. Well, we, we're not going to bother. I'll find something else to do. So the nature of industry, and I think the nature of this industry in South Africa is that even though we have factories, either it's food or textile, you know, um, materials are still sourced, you know, overseas most of the time. Even, you know, the components of, of, of the infrastructure or the machinery or the molds are sourced overseas to put together. And either we're assembling, you know, in South Africa and that forms our production or production lines, right? So for us, we managed to source some of the materials from the Sotu and some of our materials from the East, you know. So it's still a very, very big challenge for us to develop our own materials in South Africa, you know, um, come up with our own modes that are developed in South Africa, come up with the whole entire end-to-end value chain and infrastructure locally sourced and locally produced. You know what I mean? So 
it's, it's a huge challenge. So um, we, we source everything else from, for, for our business. We source between the Sotu for our mesh edition and for other SKUs we source from the East. That must raise your cost base. I mean, one of the reasons why um, so many shoes are made in, you know, particularly trainers and, and, and sports shoes, for example, are made in places like Vietnam and Thailand and in China is yeah. because of the mass production capacity, which lowers the, the unit cost of every pair that is produced. 100%. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That also comes to play, you know, because you look at the East, we mentioned China and them, you know, they've got a huge, I think, capacity to really pull in a great product at a minimal cost as well. Whereas when it comes to South Africa, like I've mentioned, so if a fiction South Africa has to mention, has to, you know, locally produce a product, you know, with materials that are outsourced, that's a cost for you to bring the materials in the country. If you have to put an infrastructure together locally and you, you have to import a mold, there's cost not only to secure it, but also, you know, import duties for you to get the mold into your factory, you know? And that all of that adds up. And then on top of that, you don't even have the right capacity to compete with the capacity and the infrastructure that is already built in, in the mm-hmm. East or other parts of the world. You know, So that comes to play as well. There's a lot of factors that really contribute to that. And I think that is why sometimes even the big retail groups that we've got in South Africa, you know, they opt to go you know, up to other parts of the world because the unit cost you know, you know, really, really plays a role. And the capacity that those factories have, you know, plays a lot in terms of, you know, um, pricing in South Africa. When we we look at your retail strategy, I mean, you've got, when I last checked, 30 stores. Where How, how many are you at now? I'm still at 30. <laughs> okay, good. That's a that's a relief because there was a hell of a speedy rollout. I mean, you were you were rolling out stores during the pandemic, during the lockdown. The first 24 stores, I think you must have started at the yeah. beginning of 2020. You had a plan, you had a strategy. Um, were you delayed? Were you? Did you have to postpone? Did you have to rethink the rollouts? Um, not, not entirely. But what actually what um, what what the pandemic has afforded me was to repurpose and reposition our brand to repurpose our strategy and execution as well. And I think the benefit with our business is that the first two years of um, of our business when we established the business is that we actually did not have any brick and mortar stores. So we worked solely on building the brand, you know, um, accumulating the working capital and putting the strategy together as to how we're going to further expand and grow the brand, you know, in terms of um, presence in South Africa. So when the pandemic came, you know, there was a lot of room for us to, have very good conversations with our landlords, our partners, as to how we can roll out stores at a very cheaper price or affordable price. And not only that, but sustainable methodology, you know. So we sort of had to leverage from from all of that. And that is why the rollout of 24 stores, you know, during a pandemic. Yeah, and it's it's how Tiki Town started. I mean, Tiki Town started in two thousand and eight, um, and landlords were begging for them to open stores. So they got great they got yeah. great deals. And I hope you've got good long term leases at very low escalations and, and good prices. Is it is it worth um, having your own branded stores? Um, is it is the strategy working for you? I think yeah. You know, the strategy is working for us one hundred and ten percent because. You know, for an emerging brand, it's really, really, really important, I would say, to build your brand equity, you know, to really build your own, you know, data and really get to connect with your clients and your, your, your customers because there's no one who can really sell your brand promise like you do. Whereas when you're an emerging brand and you start retailing, 
I feel like, you know, retailers won't really advocate, and no disrespect to any retailer, but they won't really advocate brand promise the way you would do. So for me, I've, I've seen that strategy has really worked for me and has helped my brand grow rapidly in a very short space of time because I'm in control of the end-to-end value chain, you know, and not only that, but, you know, I can really get to communicate directly with my consumer. Data is a big thing, you know, so when someone comes and walks in, but in, my, in my stores, I can get their data and use it to remarket, repurpose, reposition our brand and re-engage and most importantly, retain the client, you know, so that for me has worked really very well, like very well for my business. It might be a complete, you know, um, I think story to the next guy, the next brand. But for our brand, it has proven to be a great success. Do you do you distribute to any other retailers, or is it purely through your own platforms? Have you kept it one hundred percent within the the sphere of Batu Shoes? One hundred and ten percent, you know, exclusively at Batu. You know, this is from e-commerce, um, the whole end-to-end value chain, and most importantly, the omni-channel as well. You know, so it's all exclusively retail at Batu stores or Batu platform. And then you've not raised funding. You're not borrowed money in order to grow. No. You've not fallen into the – you haven't yet gone into a franchise model. It's all about control. You're such an accountant. Control, control, control. <laughs> Talking about that, let me tell you a little bit of a story. So in, in, in my accounting days, you know, I had the privilege of working on you know, great mergers and acquisitions. And I used to do, I was part of the DD team at some point and did due diligence and all of that. And when the balance sheets that I've read, oftentimes I, I wouldn't see a business that is 100% controlled. So you see that a lot in Silicon Valley, the tech companies when they're startups and they sell equity. And the big question was that, is it really possible to start a business, bootstrap it, you know, um, and own the end-to-end value chain and own 100% and scale it? And obviously with a you know vision one day to sell equity, but to really scale a great brand 100%, because I've never read in my accounting days, I've never read a balance sheet like that. So I took it upon myself to really try that out. And hence, you know, I built the business the way I built it because it was, like I said in the beginning, a passion project. And I just had this big ask to say, I mean, I've, I've read so many balance sheets, I've done so many measures and, acqu- measures and acquisitions, and I, I haven't really seen a balance sheet like this. Can I build one? You know, just as a passion project. And that's what I wanted to do with Batu. And hence, the 100%, you know, ownership in everything that we do, zero debt, you know, um, and when whatsoever. So are you consolidating at the moment? I mean, you've uh, for a while, you've had the, you had a very quick rollout. You opened the 30 stores. You got yourself a big national footprint. Uh, I feel like you're in yep. a consolidation phase for a while. Yes, yes. So we've, we've done that um, with, obviously, you know, the back end of the business and, um, the models that we put together and how we roll out our brand, you know, consolidation is, is, is really key. And I think not only that, but, you know, most importantly, repositioning um, or redeploying our working capital in the right avenues of the business and keep on doing that over and over again. And obviously, uh, leveraging of um, the resources that we've got and the networks and, you know, um, uh, everything else that we've built over the years and just try to put it together and consolidate and try to repurpose it. How many pairs of shoes have you sold? <laughs> it's an exercise we need to do, actually, to be honest with you, Bruce. Um, I, I'm not quite sure, but it's actually an exercise that we need to do with our accountants. You, oh, you've got other accountants. You get other people to do the boring work nowadays. <laughs> you, over, 
you're over that. You build, you're building, you're building a business. You're building a business. Um, uh, what about expanding beyond our borders? I mean, you've created a cool brand. You've created, you've got a strong brand promise. You've got a brand premise. You've got a strong brand presence. Um, you're going up against the big boys. You price yourself. You don't. You're not looking to undercut uh, in terms of pricing on on big global brands. You're quite happy to put your product on a shelf, yeah. and you will proudly price your brand um, sometimes at a premium. Um, to to some global sneaker brands, um, yep. that smacks of somebody with ambitions beyond South Africa's borders. Hundred percent. I mean, just last year alone, we were on the top one hundred most admired African brands. You know, um, list alongside big brands in Africa, Dangote Group, uh, MTN, DSTV, and that's the study that was conducted by Brands Africa over twenty eight countries that constitutes of eighty percent of African consumers. And here's this brand from Rumin Alexandra, you know, sitting and ranking number 10 alongside big brands, you know, and that shows that we've got a great appetite and even the insights that we've got in the business. We've got a great, in, shows that we've got a great, in, great appetite in Kenya, Eastern, Western, West Africa, Cedric region as well. You know, uh, we see a lot of conversion rates online in those regions and the plan is to, you know, start with Africa and expand the brand and try to convert the appetite that we've got and the equity that we've got. And that is the plan for 2022 and beyond. Do you keep manufacturing in South Africa? Do you keep it local? Um, do you use this as the base for that expansion? Um, so that's part of the strategy. We're still doing analysis. So we're in talks with a few uh, factories in South Africa because at the moment with our um, current catalog, you know, we've got SKUs that are from South Africa and we've got SKUs that are from the East or other parts of, 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 of the world. You know? So... Generally speaking, I mean, you look at um, West Africa, they also have great, I think, infrastructure. Still, again, you know, more or less the same as South Africa, but the infrastructure is really great. So the idea is to do manufacturing pair regions where we trade and see how we can leverage off from the infrastructures that exist there, leverage off from the service providers that exist there and stakeholders, you know, that exist there. And, and it also help us minimize a lot of cost as opposed to if we have to manufacture in South Africa and then ship into Kenya and so forth. So if we can have stakeholders and you know facilities that are already in Kenya for us to uh, use and utilize for manufacturing, that would be great for not only for our business, but for the local economy in those regions as well. You know, So it's, still, it's all still part of the strategy as to with the partners that we're in talks with as to how we're going to do it. It's a lovely story. Thank you for sharing it with us this evening. The founder and chief executive at Batu Shoes, Theo Baloy, this evening on The Money Show.